10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Am I Allowed to Like Anything? It's been a minute since I have put out an episode. I could give you lots of excuses why, but really it doesn't matter. I'm back like I never left. Thank you for rocking with me, and I'm really excited about this episode. Today, Teron Moore joins me, and Teron is the social media director at Teen Vogue, one of my absolute favorite magazines right now. So I'm really excited to have him on the episode to talk about the magazine, to talk about how we got the job, and to talk about all the things that we are feeling right now. Remember that you can rate and subscribe to Am I Allowed to Like Anything on iTunes, and always join the conversation using the hashtag AIA. T-L-A. I wanted a cute name on Twitter, so I got Tear. But yeah, my real name's Teron. Everyone told me not to get Tear, but I was like, it's cute. I like it. I so like I it. it. It's like a good nickname. Yeah, I dig it. And it's short. Yeah, it's short, sweet. You can always find me. It's very easy to tell people where to find me on Twitter. Right. Um, T-E-R-R, follow me. Yes, exactly. It's that simple. Okay, so Teron, you work at one of my favorite magazines, <laughs> Teen Vogue. Yes. And I've had Ella on my podcast who also works at Teen Vogue. She is the digital entertainment editor. Mm-hmm. I think I got that right. You did. I did. You did. Look at me. <laughs> and um, she's amazing. And I love the work that Teen Vogue does because it's diverse um, and you show all different types of young girls and you don't expect to receive a gold medal for it, which I love. <laughs> and so tell me, you you are a social media director yes. over at Teen Vogue. How did you get that job? And then I want to get into what you do as a social media director. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's so funny because my boss now literally slid into my DMs. <laughs> Which is like the craziest thing. I love that. Um, But you know, before I was actually a social media, um, I did social media at Gawker. So I worked with all the Gawker sites. Um, I was a social media strategist there. And he messaged me, he DM'd me on Twitter and was basically like, oh, like, do you know anyone who might be looking for, you know, this job? And I didn't really think anything of it, but I was like, I guess like you could talk to me if you wanted. Like at the time I was just like, you know, I'm not going to leave. Like, I like Gawker. But Teen Vogue, like a Condé Nast brand, like, you don't get many chances even to just get in the door there. So I was like, I'm, I'll just go to go. Uh, so I met with him and, you know, Philip Riccardi, who's the digital entertainment director. Or I'm sorry, he's the digital editorial director. Uh, and he literally just single-handedly sold me on the job just based on his vision. Um mm. You've seen a lot of the content, hopefully, that Team Vogue has been putting out, I would say, over the last six months to a year. And people should understand, and I hope they do, what a pillar and how important it is for us to include voices from different audiences. I think 
we are incredibly self-aware. We, we've become incredibly self-aware over the last couple of months to a year and some about just having different faces represented, different voices represented, and being a champion out there and including, you know, voices that don't normally get heard. And, you know, seeing, you know, I, I knew, I found out about the Amanda issue before it came out. I found out about certain things that just excited me. It just made me really, really, really want to be a part of this team. You know, it is one thing to kind of, I've worked for so many different brands. I've worked for, you know, all the Gawker brands. You know, I've worked for, I worked at The Root for a year. I did social media mm. there. Um, and there's, to me, it's just nothing like working with the young audience. They're so Why excited. They're so excited. They love everything. Like, they love One Direction. They love Zendaya. They love Kylie Jenner. And it's just, it keeps you young kind of working with an audience like that. But you also have the responsibility of, you know, presenting them with information that is going to be useful. And I just love that I work for a brand that speaks to young girls and boys, you know, responsibly. You know, we do a lot of sex positive coverage responsibly. Uh, that I don't think people would expect from us. I don't think that we, you know, we make a conscious effort to do it where we didn't before. Um, and I just love that my job is just to give young girls, and I think of my younger sisters, I think of, you know, my friends and their younger children and what I think they should be reading. And it just makes me really happy to be a part of a brand that is dedicated to making sure they hear the right stuff. Right. So that was the vision he sold you on. That was the vision he sold me on. You know, once I saw that, I was happy to come on board. And so you've been working in social media for the past how many years? I would say three. I started out as a writer, and I sort of migrated towards social media. And why did you do that? Um, I basically was a beat writer for like two and a half years. Where I just wrote literally eight to ten articles a day. For the startup site that's not even a thing anymore called Ology. Uh, I was there for two and a half years. And once you do that for so long, the good thing that came out of it was that I was eventually able to like use that. And, you know, I've done some pieces for L, for Esquire, for Men's Fitness. Um, I did a print piece in ESPN. Um, I've done some, I've done, I've gotten right for a lot of really cool brands based off my experience there. But I think I just reached a point where I was burnt out and I couldn't write every day and be excited about it. Mm. And through that, I sort of realized, well, you know, I still want to be involved in the news industry. Um, I love working with stories. I love getting people to read things that I personally am excited about. And while I was at that sort of startup company that's now defunct, I realized that social media and being able to speak to audiences in a certain way to get them to click was actually fun for me. I'm also a math person. I love working with numbers and seeing engagement and stuff like that. So it sort of is one of those things that I didn't realize until it became a thing sort of fires off like all the synapses in my brain that I need to like be happy. Right. So, you know, I after that company folded, I was like unemployed for two months. And then I got the job at The Root as their social media editor, um, did that for a year uh, and loved it. It just, you know, I got a really good opportunity from an advertising agency after that. Um, so there was no really place for me to go up. So I took the job at the ad agency, hated it, hated it. Oh, ad um, sales. And it's so, oh. it's so funny because like I was like a social engagement kind of person, but 
I need. I miss the newsroom. I miss the idea of. I like, love a newsroom. Oh yeah, exactly. I love a newsroom and just the flow of it. Right. I missed. You know, Rihanna just did this crazy thing. We got to figure out what to do in five minutes. Right. Right. You know, in the ad. And, yeah. I was gonna say a newsroom isn't an office to me. I don't. I don't think of them as the same thing. I think. Well, it obviously depends on the structure of it, but something that like feels open and there's just all these different personalities yeah. like popping up everywhere. That is where I like to be, where there's like a light or something, especially just a newsroom in the traditional sense, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So what does it take to run a social site like Teen Vogue? Um, I mean, I think just to run any site from a social media perspective, you have to know your audience first and foremost. So you got to know what pops for them. Yeah. Or I'm sorry, um, a social. What does it take to run social accounts um, for a pla- for a publication like Teen Vogue? Knowing what pops, for sure. Mm-hmm. But also, it's so funny because I, I, I guess I'm only going to speak to us right now. Just to right. vote. Yeah. Um, you have to understand what your readers want and figure out inventive ways to give it to them. I can speak for only T-Vote, but I do think that this is something that everyone is at least doing in, in, to varying degrees. Mm-hmm. But everyone is listening. People tweet and people think that we don't see. We see. Like, we we look at our Twitter a lot. We oh, look shit. at our Facebook comments a lot. I send at least a few kind of, even if it's just in Slack, even if it's just a quick email, I send, oh, look what this commenter said. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure how other brands do it, but I read. Yeah. And I know my boss reads. I know that my, you know, other people on my team read. Mm-hmm. And we are aware. And they do actually influence the stuff that we do. We try and be as awake as we can to what our audience needs. So whether that's thinking about Facebook, thinking about Instagram, thinking about Snapchat, thinking about, you know, Twitter, Tumblr, you know, every sort of platform that we're on, I'm constantly working on and thinking about and influencing my team to think about what does our audience want there and how can we give it to them in a unique way. Um, So it's, it's, it's a lot because you do, I'm juggling a lot of balls at once. Yeah. And it's definitely not always easy. Um, but it's really fun. And it's it's a really cool chance to, you know, have a good impact and, and a fun impact. I think, yeah. You know, I don't want to sound too, too full of myself or anything, but like on the world. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, even when we saw the Amandala cover come out, when you see someone tweet, I'm buying this for my daughter you know, because I want her to see other black faces. You know, certain stories that we've done where we have people say thank you. So it just happened the other day. Somebody was just like, thank you so much for writing about this because where I'm from, no one else is. You know, stuff like that means so much. Right. And it's really important to us to, to see that positive reception or the negative reception when we do something wrong. We did some article and like, it actually was hilarious the amount of what the hell is this we got on Twitter one day? <laughs> what I'm was not the gonna, story? I, um, I think we did... I can't remember exactly what the fashion trend was, but it was a fashion trend that we tried to like say was happening. Yeah. And literally, <laughs> I sent it around to the team, and we were like... We knew we were wrong, and we knew that the story was like... People were like shaming the story, but we... We're just laughing so hard because the amount of memes that we got, literally hundreds that were all like, no, this is not okay. Like, put this back. Delete your account. 
it was actually it, 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 obviously if it was something sensitive we would have you know right, addressed it right. but in that particular situation <laughs> it was a trend like it we tried to make it trend. happen it didn't work and we got you know kind of handed you know we got kind of got, got dealt some tweets con- yeah it's okay it's okay to see it I totally you know, get it we got our butts handed to us but it, it's it's fun and I love that my part of the job is just listening to our audience and trying to give them you know what they want. yeah Okay, I want to go back to a point that I know we both want to talk about and we both also experience is being a person of color and being a minority when the rest of, when more than half and typically around 80% of the people you work with or for your company are white. It's so funny nowadays because I think, and this is how it shouldn't be done, Mm. but I do think there are some companies that because of social media and because people are so outspoken about what's right and what's wrong, they try and look for a token person to kind of be that sort of filter. And I've made it, I've tried to make it really important that I don't want to be that person. I don't either. I don't like, if you need me to check something, that's fine, but I don't want to be hired to fill a diversity quota. And oh, I don't yeah. want to be hired to like, you know, I don't want that to be my sole responsibility. Yeah. Um, I never really thought in a million years that, the social media director of Teen Vogue would be a black man, let alone me. Um, <laughs> but it does speak to just the diversity on our entire editorial staff. There That's are amazing. so many black faces, so many faces of color on the Teen Vogue team that if you really walked into the office, I think you'd be surprised. That's great um, to know. And it's, it's really cool to see because while I don't think anybody on the team is used as a token, it does help us kind of keep our stories in check right like no one is gonna write anything you know that might offend someone without saying hey i just want to like just so i know like i want to run this by you plus you know i I can say i can you know our beauty editor i'm sorry not our beauty editor i'm sorry our fashion editor is black our new editor-in-chief is black i think it definitely improves the work I think I I know it definitely improves the work. And I think to be in an environment like that is unfortunately incredibly rare nowadays at least for us. I grew up in a place where you know, I my middle school was majority white, my high school was majority white, my college was majority white. I pledged to white fraternity. We can I'm sure we'll get into this later. It's actually so ironic because maybe we are like the boy girl type of each other. <laughs> I grew up in white communities my entire life. I was also president of a, a majority majority white sorority. Now looking back at it, it's so interesting because I don't think about the fact that I was a part of a national sorority any longer just because like that was college. But I think it was interesting, at least for me at that time, by the time I was in college, I knew how to talk to all different types of people and to connect with all different types of people and to find connections amongst people who you would think I would never have anything in Mm -hmm. common with. And so by that time, I feel like people were able to understand, not maybe, maybe not identify, but understand Darian as a black woman, someone who was proud to be black, someone who was proud to proud of her heritage, proud of her family and, and her parents and where she had come from, but also the girl who 
who's always going to have her dignity intact, um, but also knew how to connect with you in a way where it made you seem like, oh, we could we could be friends. Yeah. And that seems like such a such a simple concept, but it's interesting the type of dynamic that race plays in relationships and friendships. Oh, yeah. I mean, here's where code switching goes wrong. (laughs) This happened to me very recently. And it was a moment where I just had to realize, wow, like, you being able to kind of code switch or whatever and connect with someone who's not of your race or anything like that, sometimes people think they know you as a certain person mm. and you have to code switch back. Right, and then I have to code switch back to yes. their to the to the Darian they don't really know. I was out with a friend a couple weeks ago and Beyonce's album had like just dropped. And he was white. Yeah. And um we were talking about it and he was just like, Oh yeah, like I love it. I think it's great. And I was like, Yes, me too, obviously. And he goes, Oh, but like I was surprised that like she made something so niche. Like, I wonder what it's going to do for her career. <laughs> like. You going to blow up your friend's spot like that? I, I mean, I'm not going to say his name or anything like that. He might hear this podcast. We'll deal with it later. But. Wait, so what did you say to him? I said to him, I was like. Being black is not niche. Exactly. And I was just, I just, and I tried to go about it the nice way at first. And I was just like, listen, Beyonce is, if not the, one of the most famous pop artists in the world. Right. She doesn't owe the majority of anybody anything. She doesn't owe anyone anything, period. Like, she can make the music that she wants to make. And the thing that I love most, and I know you already had a whole podcast about Lemonade, mm-hmm. which I listened to, um, and it was, Lemonade is an amazing body of work. I was so proud of what it meant to black people, to black women, you know, and I loved that. The idea, I think the emotion behind it was that if you didn't get it, it wasn't for you, period. And I love that she did something that strongly and, and she was that convicted in her vision mm-hmm. and not saying, oh, like, I have this album and I really want everybody to understand. <laughs> you know, because I, yeah. I think, you know, in, in a perfect world, Beyonce would put out something like that and... You know, people who aren't black would get it in a perfect world. Right. But I don't think she made something so strongly black and so strongly black and female mm-hmm. that it was very clear that it wasn't about, oh, I made this so white people would get it. It was very clearly like this is for black women and this is for black people and black people who struggle in this nation just to be themselves. And I said most of this to him, mm-hmm. but like... If you didn't get it, it wasn't for you. Yeah, and it's just so interesting that to view the album as niche just because it was seen as not for the majority, which I guess essentially that is like the definition of something being niche. It's like mm-hmm. something, a subculture, like a, a subculture within a culture or a subculture under a subculture. But that's a very... Um, to describe it as niche is is interesting. And I had just I just had to look at him like, are you serious? Like Slash nobody funny. no like no no creative, no artist owes anything to anybody. Beyonce doesn't owe you a white album. She doesn't. Selena I just thought Gomez that was, is so niche. It's like ugh, I just One I Direction don't, yeah. so niche. So niche, right? So niche. So niche. I just I just um, thought that was insane. But you know, it's so funny because to talk about Lemonade and to talk about even moments like that for me 
I was always made to feel like I was other. And it was very specifically Trayvon Martin that changed my entire perception. It was just one of those things that just shocked, like shocked me to my core. Just this idea that like, and I don't know that it didn't click with me ever, but it just hit me so hard in that moment, just the realization that you can be, you can be Harvard educated, you can have your master's, your doctorate, like whatever. And if somebody sees you as one thing, your accomplishments or how, no matter how well you code switch or no matter how, yeah. how hard you try to please, you know, the masses, if somebody sees you and hates you, they're just going to do that. Right. And it just was one of those things where I really, really had to realize no matter what you think of yourself, no matter how big your ego is, you're a black man in America, point blank. And it just was such a, a revelation, I think, for me in my life, just to realize how other people see me and how I'm viewed in the world. Because I think I spent so much time kind of around being... people who treated you nicely yeah they treated you nicely on the surface mm -hmm. right so it was to understand microaggression as you continue to grow up in conjunction with trayvon martin which i think was a turning point for a lot of black millennials in my opinion mm -hmm. Um, is 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 not surprising to me, mm -hmm. and I also feel like your experience also points to the fact that black people are portrayed of having of us all having a very very similar upbringing, similar experience, mm -hmm. similar family structure, similar economic economic status, and that is not the case in America, right? To think that we all realize at once the brutality against our lives mm -hmm. and against our culture is also quite frankly not realistic. I think that um, as you grow up and depending on where you live, what mm -hmm. you do and what your exchanges have been with people who don't look like you, that all affects when you realize that America doesn't love you. <laughs> Yeah. As a black person. Absolutely. And so. that was, it was a really hard realization. And, you know, in middle school, everyone was super nice to me. In high school, everyone was super nice to me. It was really college when, you know, you're in those spaces where everybody is from all over the world and they all have these views of, you know, people that they don't know. And, like, it, was, it wasn't until college that I had a friend, actually. I'll never forget it. Like, a fraternity brother of mine, like... I was walking down the street and I just heard somebody go, hey, N-word. And like with an ER, like they weren't playing. And I turned around and it was like one of my best fraternity brothers. And like just thought this was funny. And like there was so many instances like that in college where it was just like not even micro. Like these were just straight up aggressions. Mm -hmm. And I think it took me so long, longer than it should have to realize what was happening and realizing what it meant mm -hmm. that at the end of the day these people don't respect you the way that you need them to the way that the way they, that you thought they did the, the way that you thought they did and that was so kind of hard for me to deal with because it wasn't even a matter of like it wasn't even a matter of like I'm your friend so I'm going to respect you it just was a matter of like I'm your friend 
but I also realize you're black, and this is what I think of black people. And like you would, I would sort of be in in these situations where I was constantly reminded I was black in a negative way. Like even if it's like watching an episode of South Park and they make a black joke, and I'm in the fraternity room with twenty white people cracking up, and I'm just sitting there like this is not funny to me. Yeah. Like I, I really had an, a, a bird's eye view of just like what, well, not even a bird's eye view. Like I was there. Like I really mm-hmm. had just a intimate view of what people act like, what non-black people act like when black people aren't around. Except I was so passive and I was so wanting to be liked that I was in the room, which is like embarrassing to think about nowadays. But it just was a really hard just place for me to be in because I wanted these people to like me. I wanted to be liked. I wanted to, you know, be the guy that played along with it. So Mm -hmm. I put up with a lot of black jokes. I put up with a lot of gay jokes. And it's just one of those things where it's like, I severely regret that now because I have. And I I do think, you know, when you're 21, you're 22, whatever, you don't have as much of an understanding of who you are and who you want to be. And over the years, I've just amassed a sense of who I am and what I take and what I don't that I look back on that and I just, I'm just one of those people that's always like, I don't have any regrets, but I always think of the perfect thing I would have said in that moment, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Um, But that was really hard for me and me coming to, I think, just coming of age as a black man in America in 2016 is um, a process, but I think it's a rewarding one. I have so much more um, confidence in myself and I have so much more respect for myself that stuff like that obviously doesn't fly today. Um, you know, it just doesn't. And also, I think that it's a testament to the fact that you are able to like sit here and talk about this and about yourself and about what you've learned in such an honest way. Yeah, I didn't plan on saying it. <laughs> I know it's no because it's almost like you look back at some of your behavior and you were like, and you're like, that was suspect. Yeah. Right. But I think just in life, no matter kind of what you go through, whether it's stuff with relationships or stuff with friends, you kind of have to look back and just be like, okay, I did that. I learned from it. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm not going to pretend like I've had the perfect life and I made every decision correctly. You know, everybody's a process. Everybody's growing and everybody is just learning from their experience. And I'm trying still to a be, process. Yeah. Exactly. And trying to be the best that they can. And it's even, I, but I will say that I do think it's a lot harder now when a lot of us, I feel like, are growing up on Twitter, are growing up on the internet. Only, you know, it's, it's like only God knows what type of tweets I was sending in 2011, which is really only five. I don't even want to see my, tweet, my Facebook post know. from like 2007. I don't, I don't even, even want to know, honestly. Because I used to Facebook like I tweet. Like I would Facebook 15 times a day. Oh my gosh, and yeah. Like, So we emailed about this beforehand. I wanted to try a new segment. <laughs> Instead of plus one, I wanted to make it plus three. And I wanted to spend a larger amount of time really talking about two or three things that we both really enjoy. 
Yes. So we talked about one. We did talk before. about one already. We talked about Beyonce. We talked about Beyonce. Specifically, which, you know, people getting Beyonce, yeah. which I hope they're doing. And, right. So that was kind of our specific note on Beyonce. What's your second one? My second one is, and I, I'm like, I'm surprised that I'm saying this because a year ago I would have never. But my second is actually Nick Jonas. Explain. I feel like when he decided, okay, I'm going to be this solo star. He played and pandered so much to the gay audience that it was such a turnoff. Is like, he gay? I, no, or he's, he he's straight. Okay, has played gay roles. He's apparently had like gay sex on screen, but he is not gay. Um, and he's dated women, so I take him for what he identifies as, and that's fine. The music just sits in me right. Like I just like the music, so I got mad because I was like, I know that he is just being this gimmick right now but i like the music and then i ended up meeting him mm, and came like over. working at vogue you just you get to meet people sometimes and i met him and like i'm lucky enough to say i've met like a couple of talented people in my day and like nine times out of ten i'm like okay i meet you you are like way less impressive in my eyes now that i see you as like a real human being it was the opposite with him i like fell in love with him more just because you know, I you feel people out, and you can tell when someone is kind of whether they're an actor, whether they're a singer, whether they're an influencer. You can kind of tell when they're kind of in the business just to be in it. And like after meeting him, and actually I went to a secret show of his. I think maybe a week later, maybe two weeks later, I got the vibe that he really is about the music, and he really does care not about being famous but about making good music. Mm -hmm. And I can rock with that. Like, I, I, I can. And I'm not going to sit here and say he's on MJ's level or Prince's level, but I do think if he plays his cards right, you know, Justin Timberlake is aging. You can get someone in that He also came out with that slot. trash song, so I'm not... I'm sorry. What I'm not, trash song? I'm not going to talk about it. That that most recent Justin Timberlake song. Oh. I'm sorry. Oh we God. can't we talk could go about... for hours about Justin Timberlake. He's my favorite artist. I'm sorry. I love Justin Timberlake so much. Listen, um, that song... I'm so sorry I said that. We all, like, I played it and I was just like, oh, this is not it, but it's going to be everywhere. Yeah. It's number one on Billboard already. It's number one. It beat... um. Drake's one dance. Honestly, I question. I question Billboard sometimes. Some, I'm, star, I'm starting to look at them a little bit like the Grammys, but what do I know? It's crazy because Future Actually. Sex Love Sounds is literally, like, if I had to listen to one album for the rest of my life, and I could go with MJ, I could go with Prince, but I know my heart is, like, my favorite is Future Sex Love Sounds. I still listen to that album, especially the title track, especially Sexy Back, and I'm just like, how did this dude just... How did he do this? Him and Timbaland, I think they're just, I think they're geniuses. And I just, I love that album. And I don't think he's ever, I think certain artists, you're like, they, they reach their peak and you're like, you're never going to make anything better than this. For Usher, it was Confessions. For Lauren Hill, it was her one album. Um, <laughs> and for Justin, I think it was Future Sex Love Sounds. It's just one of those albums that is perfect start to finish. You know, it just perfectly captures the essence of like a moment in time where music was... I think he turned the needle a little bit. I think he was one of the people doing EDM before it was cool. And if you listen to Sexy Back now, it's just like, it fits more in with like all this EDM stuff everybody's doing, but you know, they were doing it before it got hot. Um, 
So I love Justin, and I hope that Nick has the smarts to take his place one day. One day. Because if, if this is what Justin is coming with, I love him, but this ain't it. What's your last and final plus three? My last and final plus three is I'm so excited actually, for this. <laughs> it's actually Harry Potter. <laughs> because, like, I reread those books so damn much. Like, I constantly reread them, and... I'm constantly entertained by something new. Just not only did J.K. Rowling craft this like amazing series of books about kind of coming of age in a world and magic and Hogwarts, all that stuff is cool and, and, and you know, wizards and that stuff is great. But like the more you read it, the more you realize like the read she gave, uh, not just about like class, but about race, but mm-hmm. about like the government and like, the whole, like, I, I remember rereading, like, books five and six and just rereading the parts where, like, the Ministry of Magic turned on him and then the, the next year they're, like, begging him to come cape for them. And Harry was like, are you serious? Like, you literally called me a liar for a whole year and I'm supposed to come back and, like, be your savior? But, like, the government also does that, too, in the real world. We're like... Yeah they will act like an issue is so important only when it benefits them. And then if it doesn't, they don't care. And like, I just love reading the books for those reasons because there's so many real world things that are going on right now that this children's book, supposed children's book that has very adult themes, sort of ties into. I love that, this might be really corny, but I love that the book has so many running ideas about love and how it motivates and even in the darkest of times you know your love for someone protects you it saves you sometimes it's your 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 biggest curse and sometimes it's your biggest blessing i think snape is an amazing character um even though i just i was so shocked at the end because i definitely thought he was like cold evil yeah i definitely thought he was cold evil um but to hear that he did all this for you know his love of harry's mother I don't know, but all I know is that those books, I don't think I even knew it years after reading them, but they truly influenced my life and like my Mm -hmm. love for reading and my education, my -hmm. creativity. This is embarrassing, but I told myself I was going to tell it anyways. I was Harry Potter for Halloween one year. Oh my God. That's amazing. That's not embarrassing. And no, well, this is when it gets embarrassing. (laughs) So my mom let me be Harry Potter for Halloween, and she let me be Harry Potter for Halloween. But I, it started to get intense when I like asked for like a Harry Potter wig. My mom was like, "No." Mm. <laughs> so you you just had the scar and the glasses? Yeah, like well, I was. I mean, I had all this hair, and my and I and I don't know if I just expected that I was just gonna put it under like a black wig <laughs> or something. But I think my mom just kind of drew the line there because she wanted me just to still look like... Yourself? Yeah, like a black girl, but inspired by Harry Potter. But then there was something else really intense that I wanted, too. It was beyond the wig. I think I wanted to do something else crazy that had to do with a more intense outfit. Mm. But there's, there's like, a photo of me literally in my home with, like, you know, the, the... classic harry potter outfit that you probably get at party city yeah it with like a thunderbolt but oh my gosh i, I love do harry remember potter. when the last book came out back when i was straight long story <laughs> my, 
my girlfriend at the time made me like wear like this Dumbledore wig and we went to like the party at the bookstore when the last book came out oh my and gosh. I remember we sat outside the mall and like read the first chapter of the last book page by page and then like I like we literally talked to each other for like two days and we all read the book and then we all just came back in the same room and we're like oh my god that's amazing. Just the way that the story unfolds, just throughout all. If you haven't read this Harry Potter books, you probably already know what happens. But just like, it's so worth the journey. Like it's I so have the reread journey. literally straight one to seven mm-hmm. so many times, and I just I learn something new. I find something to love about a new, a different character every time. It's just one of those books where it's so it captures a world, like an entire world, in such a way. I don't know that many authors could ever do and like I have my Kindle I'm trying to read more stuff about you know I got a couple books on the Kindle but I always come back to I'll just start and I'll be like mm, let me just start Goblet of Fire I'm bored and I done read straight to book seven right um so it's just one of those books for I me. think I'm gonna re- re- reread them it's so good it's it's just amazing yeah you know what I will be happy with my life if we ended this podcast on a Harry Potter note. I feel like we should. What I house think would we you should. have been in? Huh? What house would you have been in? Oh, Gryffindor. Really? I mean, what do you see me as, be honest? I can see you as a Gryffindor. I feel like it makes sense. I'm always like a little left of center, so I wouldn't have gone with Gryffindor only because it's the popular choice, even though Gryffindors are cool, like, you know. But um, I feel like I would have been a Ravenclaw. Hmm. I, I wouldn't have been a sil- I wouldn't have been a Slytherin. I wouldn't have been a Slytherin. I feel like either. Hufflepuffs are like Hufflepuff. No, it's just not it's even just my lame. personality. But Ravenclaws are supposed to be like smart and quick-witted and like a little, you know, slick. Yeah. Um, so I feel like I would have been a Ravenclaw. But who knows? Hmm. Thank you, Teron. This was so great. Thank you. We talked I... about a lot of different things. We talked about everything from race to being a part of our right white sororities which are two things i guess looking back i mean i did enjoy my sorority experience i absolutely yeah. did but i always tell people it's, it's so interesting because race is such an it's unavoidable yeah and i don't ever try to avoid it and even though i don't always like the plights that come with the dynamic of like being black in America and things that we just quite frankly shouldn't shouldn't have to deal with. I don't ever veer away from it on my podcast because it's always a discussion that we need to have. I just had to learn what it means. I had to learn why it's important that I accept love, be proud of my blackness, wear it on my skin every day like I actually do and not be afraid of how what someone else thinks of that, right. you know? But here we are. Here we are. Two things we like ourselves. <laughs> That's incredibly vain, but I do like myself. I'm I'm working on it, and it's funny. We're working on it. I've always said that. I mean, I've always been saying that. Like, I wanted to. I can't wait to be thirty. Oh my god! You know, we cannot even get on this conversation. I can't. Like, I've always one. I've always said like I can't wait till I'm thirty because I feel like I'll have accomplished certain things. Mm-hmm. And I when I, all the guys I know when I'm thirty and all the people I know that, that that are thirty, they just have this confidence about themselves mm-hmm. that like you know I've accomplished this much. You know I can pay my own bills and all this stuff. I can go on vacation when I'm. I can do all these things. And it's just funny because I always thought, oh, when I get to thirty, I'll have that. And somebody one day was just like, why can't you have that now? That's how I look. So, you know, I've been working on just being like, you know what? 
you know, I have a really good job. I work a lot of hours, but I, I love the job. You know, I'm financially okay. Like, I'm at a place that I never thought I would be where, like, if I want something, I can buy it. And, like, you know, the one thing I love doing is making my mama proud, whether it's calling Amen. her up and sending her good news um, or just sending her some money if she needs it. Like, I live to make my mother proud. Like, I, I think you ask a lot, moments. like, what you what you what we want to be doing in a couple years i just want to be making my mom proud i just want to be able to call her up and give her good news because she worked so hard um and i just want to spend my life letting her know that it was worth it i agree i feel the same way shout out to our mamas (laughs) shout out to mamas we've tried to end this like three times i know this is it (laughs) first we tried to end it at harry potter but mamas we'll end it at mamas i think that's a good that's a good point (laughs) 